to the Rebel Love Podcast, where each week I'll bring you a new episode exploring love, sex, relationships, and money. Join me as together we question, explore, and strive to understand. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rebel Love Podcast. Today, my guest is Joe Westwood, life coach, author, codependency recovery coach, and creator of Lovingly Fierce. In her work as a life coach, she brings together her own experiences with her personal journey of self-development and many years of coaching women from all walks of life to help her clients break free from the exhausting and destructive cycle of codependency. It took for her to marry someone who narcissistically abused her to finally figure out that she was codependent and to find her calling and purpose by helping others escape from codependency, claim their lives back with confidence and live lovingly fierce. Welcome Joe Westwood. How's it going? Thank you so much for having me on Talia. It's such a joy to get to talk to you today. Oh, so you're so welcome. I, I know I say this a lot in the podcast episodes. I always have like a 15 minute chat with all my guests and our chat went for actually like an hour. <laughs> we just got on a bit of a roll. So it's, it's so nice to do this again with you. Oh, thank you, my lovely. Yeah. Um, yeah, we really set the world to rights in our like pre-chat. So I'm looking forward to getting down to it today. <laughs> me too, me too. Awesome. Um, so today we're actually going to talk about reclaiming your power to end codependency. But before we do that, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about yourself and your journey and just sh- shed some light on a little bit of the intro there on, on how, yeah, how you're, you went through that uh, abuse to, to be where you are today. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I'll just start with like a little bit about me. So I am a cis bi woman. I am 34. Um, my pronoun, my pronouns are she, her. Um, so I was previously married to a cis het man and, um, but my whole relationship history has been in, I'm going to say like 90% of the people that I've ever been in relationship with have been in some way emotionally unavailable or narcissistic. And I've figured out through my marriage that the reason that I kept repeating that pattern over and over again in relationships is because I was codependent. So I'm always very careful to, yeah, I really don't like using the word attract because I feel like it puts blame on the victim. But there was certainly something in me that was, if not attracting, allowing and accepting that type of behavior over and over again in relationships. Mm -hmm. But it took for me to marry somebody to finally realize what was going on because when it was just boyfriends, I would just leave. And it was like a kind of, yeah, it was an easy out. But when I got married, it really pushed me to figure out what was going on because like I always say no one gets married because they want to get divorced. Right. Right. And yeah. So when I was, I got married when I was, I think 28 and about a year into our marriage. I mean, the red flags were already there, honestly, before we got married. Anyone who's been through this process knows this. (laughs) I do not need to explain this to you. Um, But yeah, the red flags were already there before we got married. About a year into our marriage, I went to see a a marriage counsellor on my own. And she told me that I was married to a narcissist. And it was like she did me the biggest favor of my life because through that journey, that was how I discovered codependency and that I was codependent. And so I'd been a life coach for some years. And when I look back now, I realized that I had been 
helping people with codependency and with putting boundaries in place and that kind of thing, but without really having a name for it or a system or even obviously fully understanding it myself because it was exactly what I was doing too. Right. Um, So yeah, then through that process of um, discovery and recovery that I have been through and I'm still on myself, that's when I really decided to kind of niche down and I created my own system to help people recover from codependency. And um, yeah, so that's what I specialize in now. And I absolutely love it. it. It's so fulfilling and it thrills me helping people get out of the same situations that I was in. And it's, as I'm sure we will touch on, it is so wildly prevalent, particularly amongst women. So yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm just picking off those little codependent babies one at a time. <laughs> Attacking you on social media with love, showing you what's really going on, getting you out of those relationships, making you feel good about yourself, building yourself worth up. So yeah, anyway. Nice, nice. Well, <laughs> I, I think your work is really, really important. Like you said, you really didn't realize until you had this experience, yet it had been going on for years. So yeah, my whole life. Um, right. I mean, I, uh, you know, codependency is a trauma response. It's a coping mechanism. So that was kind of given to me by my family structure. And then I think I got my first boyfriend, my first relationship when I was 13 and have hardly been single since, um, up to the point of getting divorced. And yeah, that's, that kind of like, that brings you up to what I just described where it's like, you know, pretty much every relationship I was in was either with someone who was emotionally unavailable or narcissistic. And then I think the two people that I can kind of pinpoint that weren't that way, I dumped them because they were boring to me because I was codependent and I wanted the right. drama and the abuse and the bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, the rollercoaster ride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, one of my questions was going to be, what is codependency? But I think you just touched on that. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add to that kind of definition just before we move forward? Yeah. So um, I have my own like, a nice kind of succinct definition. Okay. So my definition of codependency is that it is an addiction to external validation and to dysfunctional one-sided relationships. There's a lot of misconceptions around codependency and it's the same with narcissism as well. Like people kind of see it as the more surface level thing. So people think codependency is just like being a needy girlfriend and people think narcissism is like taking too many selfies, but they're both actually much deeper and much more nuanced than all of that. But yeah, that's kind of my, that's my potted description of what codependency is. Nice. It's very succinct. So actually while we're here, let's talk about the deeper things that you just mentioned with codependency and with narcissism and yeah. what that can look like. And, and yeah. after that, I'm going to ask you something about your ex specifically, if that's okay. Okay. Yep. <laughs> no names, but we can do stories. Yeah, sure. That's right. Um, yeah. So codependency and so this is obviously like, I'm a codependency coach and this is what we're here to talk about today, but you kind of can't really talk about codependency without talking about narcissism. I mean, you can, but when we don't know like who the audience is, like if the audience isn't necessarily up on what this stuff is, it doesn't really make sense to talk about codependency without narcissism because they kind of fit hand in glove. And the way I describe them is that they are like two sides of the same coin and they come because they both come from the same root. 
and that is a fundamental lack of self-worth. But codependent people and narcissistic people cope with that fundamental lack of self-worth differently. So for codependent people, what we tend to do is um, overgive. We um, we do too much. We're not very good at being. And we very much link our sense of self-worth to doing rather than being. So you might recognize that as being a perfectionist or an overachiever. Um, That might have manifested for you in the family home as like being a caretaker to an adult. And whether that was in a, you know, a very obvious practical way, like you were doing the school run and um, getting the groceries when you were eight years old, or whether it was like you were a therapist, essentially, to your parents you know, you kind of get put into that caretaker role and that is your value in the family. And so you never actually really get to discover your own identity outside of what you can provide for other people. The one time in your life when other people are meant to be exclusively providing for you, i.e. before you're an adult. Yeah. That's a really good description. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really, really helpful. Thank you. (laughs) Then that manifests when we become adults as caretaking our partners because often we've been brought up in chaos we're kind of addicted to chaos but that's also very stressful one of the things that if adults around us don't provide control and discipline and structure for us we will try to put that in place for ourselves and so then again we carry that over into our adult relationships where we try and control our partners but we often do it through kindness so people think of control and they think of it as like someone locking you in the house and telling you that you can't leave which looks more like what a narcissist would do but control from a codependent point of view might look like completely infantilizing your partner you know like totally taking care of like everything in the home, you know, the children, if you have them, booking healthcare appointments for them and basically just completely infantilizing them, but then totally resenting them and feeling very frustrated that they never do anything and you're always exhausted and your hopes and dreams are just getting dashed because you're spending so much time doing everything for everyone else. And yet you cannot get out of that cycle. And the overdoing and the overgiving also serves your um lack of self-worth because you another reason why you do and overgive so much for other people is that you don't actually believe that you're worthy of those people being in your life because again because you very heavily link your sense of worth to doing rather than being you don't think that you're enough just as a person unless you are giving 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 doing 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 for others And so that's also a way to keep you feeling safe and bring some control into your life. Because if you infantilize someone and you make yourself in your eyes, irreplaceable, indispensable in their lives, they're never going to leave you. So as much as you might be exhausted and resentful, you feel like, well, they could never leave because they, they actually can't function without me, which of course is not the case. But these are like the mental gymnastics that we do because of this lack of Mm self-worth. Mm-hmm. Then with narcissists, what happens is, so the the key characteristic of someone who's narcissistic is that they're lacking in empathy. And the reason that that happens is, so again, comes from a lack of, a fundamental lack of self-worth. And that translates into shame. And then rather than, so whereas the codependent processes their shame out in the open, 
by trying to constantly prove to everybody that they're good enough. The narcissist locks that shame away, puts it in a safe, locks it in a box and throws away the key and just shoves it down inside of them. And here's the thing is if you cannot access shame, you cannot access empathy because they're the they're opposite ends of the scale, right? If you cannot access one, you cannot access the other. You've, you've cut off a part of your feeling body, basically. And if you cannot access empathy, then that means that you can't really connect with any other emotion, truly. You cannot fully love in the sense that we really understand love. You, you can't really feel other people's pain. You don't really care if you hurt other people because it's all very much just about you and filling up this kind of hollowness inside that has been created by like cutting part of your emotional body off. And so that's where narcissism comes from. So I think I'll leave it there. But if you have any more questions about, I'm going to let you just ask me the questions because I could do a whole podcast (laughs) on narcissism, but that's not what I want to talk about. I'm more interested in like codependency and how we work on ourselves. But anyway, then... The final thing I'll say on this is then narcissist and codependent people just like attract each other. They're they're magnetized to each other because the dynamic, it fits what they're both looking for. The codependent always needs to feed, you know, emotionally. And the the narcissist always needs to be fed emotionally. And that's why I talk about dysfunctional one-way relationships because it's always coming out of you as a codependent and into them as a narcissist. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Wow. That, yeah, this is really, really helpful painting this picture. Just for the people who don't know, can you explain what infantilized means? Um, Yeah. So it's basically like you become a parent figure. Um, So if you think of like, how you would take care of your children and like obviously you do everything for them you know you get the groceries you make their dinners you take them to school you book all their appointments they just don't even have to think about that stuff of course because they are children right but codependent people do that to their adult partners quite frequently but obviously that's very frustrating and draining and exhausting because they're not children. So they don't have a legitimate excuse to be allowing you to do that. And yet there really is no reason for them to be doing that. And so you just, then you don't have an equitable relationship, partly because you've taken away some of their autonomy, but partly because they're probably quite bought into you doing that, like that works for them. I bet. I bet it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really interesting. And I guess if you weren't narcissistic perhaps, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is right, correct me if I'm wrong. I guess if you weren't narcissistic, it would probably be a bit too much. Like, Hey, I don't, I don't yes. need a mother. I just need a partner. <laughs> like I appreciate it and every now and again, but like all the time it gets a bit much. Honestly. Yeah. Like that is the mark of someone who is, or one of the marks of someone who's relatively healthy is someone that would turn down that infantilization and that control with kindness and would say like, no, you're doing too much. You need to just take a step back. Like there's stuff you're not doing for yourself or no, it's okay. I'm good. I've got it. I'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just want to frame this as well, because I quite often use the word healthy. And what I mean by healthy is that, you know, how you're fucked up when you're working on it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. Very, very true. Right. Everyone's got something. Yeah, there there are very, very few people who um, make it to adulthood completely unscathed by what their parents and the systems that they grew up in did to them. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is my definition of healthy. Okay, so 
Let's talk about where codependency starts. You did touch on that before. And I mean, and you did describe it with, you know, parents. And let's talk a little bit about how children grow up with codependent parents and if that creates codependent children. And you also spoke about it being a lack of self-worth. And I mean, I guess what I'm getting from what you said before was the reason why they have a lack of self-worth is because they don't have a chance to just be themselves. They're always kind of doing. And so in a way, they're always kind of in avoidance. Would that be, does that kind of sound on the right track? Yes. I mean, I describe codependency as an addiction. And then my definition of addiction is something that you do to avoid yourself. Right. Okay, cool. On the right track. (laughs) So yeah, like it's, um, you know, it's the same with substance addictions, you know, you are drinking or drugging to avoid yourself. You want to numb out the same with food addictions, whether it is, you know, binging and purging or overeating or whatever it may be, it's a way to avoid yourself. And it's exactly the same with codependency because you're so hyper-focused on everybody else's lives. Like I always say codependent people don't even live in their own bodies. They live in an anxiety cloud, like a sim like the anxiety, it's like, or like a little wheel of death that you get on a Mac that floats somewhere above their head and their body is just kind of an avatar. Like it's just the vehicle through which they overgive, but where they actually live is somewhere above their heads. So anyway, <laughs> so codependency and where does it come from? So for the majority of people, it comes from their family setup. Um, It can be triggered later in life as well. Um, Another common place for it to come from if it isn't from family or, well, not common, but like I'd say the next place it comes from if it isn't from the family setup is like being bullied at school. That's the other thing that I see that's quite common. So, So the older texts on codependency relate codependency very heavily to um, coming from addiction in the family home and sometimes addiction in with the partner but that's usually just a pattern that's been repeated from childhood um it's not like you grow up kind of you know again relatively healthy and boundaried and then all of a sudden find yourself in a deep in a relationship with an addict that doesn't usually happen it can happen but it's not usually the case because you just wouldn't allow and accept that behavior right you would say this is not good for me and you would walk away and so Yes, uh, addiction in the family home is absolutely one of the roots of codependency, but it's not the only root of codependency. Codependency can be triggered by any form of trauma in the home growing up, and that can be big T trauma or little t trauma. So big T trauma is um, can be, and I'm just going to give people a quick like content warning here. I mean, hopefully you know, as I said, the word trauma, just turn this bit down if you feel like this is going to trigger you or upset you in any way and turn us back up in a few minutes. It won't be this heavy all the time, I promise. But so big T trauma can be, um, you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Um, it can be being brought up in a conflict zone, um, you know, with war around you. It can be a life changing injury or illness. Um, so anything Basically, big T trauma is, or it can also be things like an accident. So like a car accident, a plane accident, anything that immediately threatens your physical safety is big T trauma. And then little T trauma is all the other shit that most of us go through. Um, And obviously you can have a combination of both in your life as well. Mm -hmm. 
And the little T trauma is the stuff that I don't think we fully acknowledge enough as being a trigger mm-hmm. um, for dysfunctional behavior later in life. So, and it's, it, it's stuff that can be so common. So I would, in this kind of specific area that we're talking about, about around codependency, definitely having codependent or a narcissistic parent will trigger you either into codependency or narcissism. And for most people, it's quite common to have one of each if your parents stayed together or if you had uh, two parents or caregivers that if one's codependent, probably the other is narcissistic or in some way emotionally avoidant. So that is a form of um, like emotional trauma, little T trauma. So yeah, again, other forms of like emotional neglect, it can be things like um, like your parents getting divorced. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of that like more everyday stuff that happens, that has happened to the majority of people, quite honestly, even things like, you know, financial instability. If there's a point where your parents were like made redundant and you were struggling for money and you had to like downsize very quickly and they were so stressed out and focused on their financial situation all the time that they then couldn't take care of you because they were so bothered about putting a roof over your head. So it isn't, trauma isn't always like, doesn't always look like active abuse. And for a lot of people, it actually just looks like their parents being very ill-equipped emotionally or being blindsided by something in their own lives that they were just never prepared for. And yeah, and it's like those moments that really affect you as a kid and that make you go into survival mode. And quite often as a kid, what the way that you go into survival mode is you start doing. It's like, well, my parents are stressed and struggling. They're trying to you know, figure out how we're going to pay the rent this month. So what can I do? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're eight years old picking up your five-year-old sister from school because your mom is out busy looking for work or, you know, so it's like just as an example, and that could be like a very normal story. That's a very, you know, it's not, it wasn't that you were necessarily from this super abusive household. And of course, yes, that stuff is most likely going to trigger you into some form of dysfunction as well, but it can come from these kind of low level forms of Um, abuse, neglect, or just being emotionally ill-equipped and kind of not realizing what was going on with your kids and how deeply it was affecting them. And again, for like people of our generation who had boomers as parents, very common, you know, boomers and backwards, not very emotionally well-equipped people. Sorry, boomers, if you're listening. (laughs) I know that's not all of you, but, um, you know, it just is a generational thing. Right. Another thing I think that's worth noting is that it can be generational trauma that's passed down. And that is quite often where you see it manifesting as a codependent or a narcissistic parent. So for example, for me in my dad's side of the family, there is like a history with like my great granddad of alcoholism and emotional abuse and some physical abuse as well, which was very normal at the time, which he would now be imprisoned for if he was still alive. Yeah. But that, is then passed down because that's how my grandma was brought up. And then, you know, that affected her in ways that she probably never even realized. Then that's how she parented my dad that affected him in ways that he never realized. And then that is going to affect how he parents me. Right. So it's not always even just in your immediate family. It may just be a kind of toxic family system that's been passed down through a few generations. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I really want to, I'm really glad you brought that up because it really is up to us as individuals to go, okay, what's my, what's my shit and how can I best deal with it? Because if I have children, it's my responsibility. If I'm aware enough, hopefully to break that cycle. And the thing is it, it, you know, it takes work. Like, it's not just like, oh, I acknowledge it. So I'm fine now. There's so many layers that we like digging into and doing this work. So thank you really uh, for bringing that point up. I think that's a really, really interesting point. It's actually interesting because I know this family and I know them quite well. And there's five sisters and one of them has, they've all had a lot of trauma and one of them's done a lot of self-help work. And there is such a huge difference between the way she operates in the world and the others yeah. and the way it manifests in the others. Yeah. And it, it's so interesting to see like somebody who's dealt with it and just the, even just the, like her self-confidence, the way she carries herself, the way she has conversations, the way she speaks, the way she kind of, um, how do I even say this? Like, um, the word come, not, not demand, but like, um, doesn't accept behavior yep. that's, um, that's not okay, basically. And, yeah. and, and the others will just be like, oh, you just sweep it under the rug or, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to cause conflict. And it's not mm. like she goes out of her way to cause conflict, but she's just like, this is not acceptable. And, and yeah. so she'll either say it with her behavior or her words in a very, you know, uh, acceptable way. Um, people, you know, and it's just like, I don't know, it's just, there's such a huge difference there, I see. And so it's really, really interesting to see. And they're all sisters. So, yes. And that's really interesting as well, because it shows that you can change this stuff. Yeah. You oh, are, for sure. um, you know, isn't a life sentence. You aren't just destined to be that way. Cause that's the way you were brought up. Right. Um, you, know, you can be a generational cycle breaker. Yes. Which is amazing, right? It's, it's so amazing. And what a gift for, to yourself, but also to your children to break yeah. this cycle and be the healthy example. You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. And even if you're someone who doesn't have children, like you're still influencing younger people mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. You are still passing down, you know, the best way to teach is to demonstrate. There are still people in your world that are being influenced by you, that are watching you, you know, your friends and their children. And, you know, maybe people at work, like younger colleagues, they're all watching you and learning from you all the time, whether you realize it or not. And yeah, so it's, it truly is the gift that keeps on giving. It really is. And also life's, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like self, self-development never stops. So it's not like, oh, you're like one and done. You're like, oh, great. This is like the start of my journey. But, but, it, but it's fun, right? It's fun. I mean, it's fun after you get to a certain point because you're like, oh, well, yeah. it's not fun at first. It's like, it gets, you know, it's like, it's like really bring out the baggage. Oh my gosh. I read this great thing on Instagram the other day and it was a really, um, I know Instagram memes, but it was like, they were talking about holding a glass of water and they said, you know, how heavy is this glass of water? And everyone in the, in the class, you know, called something out and he was like, and, and someone said, well, it depends how long you've been holding it for. And it's so yeah. true. It's like, you know, if you're holding this for five minutes versus five years, that yeah. the weight didn't change, but how heavy it did totally changed. And yeah. that's what carrying around all this crap is like, you know, it just keeps getting heavier and heavier and heavier the more you don't deal with it. Yeah. And I would also say, and I don't, I'm like doing this on the fly, so it might not make sense, but I would also say it depends how strong you are. It's all relative. 
different things affect different people at different levels. Different people have different ways of coping with them mm-hmm. and you know, coping strategies and abilities to, um, you know, process, put the water down for a while, pick it back up again. I don't know, right. like maybe, maybe tip yeah. it out of the glass so they don't have to hold it. Like there's yeah. all these different, yeah, but it is, it's basically, it's relative. Right. It's all relative. It doesn't. And I think that's the kind of just like circling back briefly to the kind of trauma thing is that it's a lot of little T trauma is really, it's normalized and it's also minimized. And Mm. I do hear this from um, clients and people who get in touch with me on Instagram and they feel like, well, they haven't really had it that bad, you know, like in air quotes, like it wasn't really that bad for them. They didn't have this horrendous abusive upbringing. So like, do they deserve to um, get help? Do they deserve to ask for help? Right. Um, You know, should they, you know, should they be complaining or should they be happy with it? Right. And it's like, if it's not fulfilling you, it's not fulfilling you. It's all relative and you deserve a happy, fulfilled life and you deserve healthy, fulfilling relationships if that's what you want. Um, you know, romantic relationships, obviously we all deserve and want fulfilling relationships around us in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everyone deserves that. We're here for a very short period of time and it just makes no sense to me to not leverage the fuck out of it. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You know, it's interesting that you say that about the minimized and normalized because I remember when um, the Me Too movement started, um, a lot of my uh, friends were like, who am I to post my story when my story is nothing compared to this woman's story? And mm. it's like, okay, that's true. That woman went through a, a, a big T trauma and you yeah. went through perhaps what you would consider a little T trauma or, you know, in comparison. Yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't mean, like you said, it's different for everyone, right? It doesn't mean that that didn't affect you or that that's any less valid. Yeah. Well, and it all feeds into the same system, so, you know, the people are coming out codependent from big T and little T trauma, but the more people that keep coming out, you know, coming out of their sort of family homes and out into the world as adults, into their families of creation as codependent people, the more normalized it becomes. The more of your friends that are codependent in your friend group, when you complain about your relationship, if there isn't somebody or the majority of you, or even just like one or two people being like, that's not right. He does not respect you or like they are not respecting your boundaries or um you know she is like taking advantage of you that's not cool if you're all just moaning about the same stuff and complaining about the same stuff then you it's going to be normalized and because of the normalization minimized and then you're going to think well this is just what relationships are and so i either have to choose between having a relationship maybe having a family if that's what you want and being single forever Mm -hmm. And as a codependent person, that's like your fucking worst nightmare is like being alone forever. So you would rather just put up with the the pain and the abuse and the disrespect and the dysfunction than think, well, that's the alternative. Obviously, there's something in the middle, which is like a healthy, fulfilling relationship. Right. If you don't have anyone modeling that for you, demonstrating that to you, normalizing that for you, how would you know? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. And sometimes you get stuck in this cycle, you know, you really got to examine who you're around and what their life looks like. And if it's like, Hmm, is that, (laughs) is that actually what I want? That's so true. And I also, I would also add that there's just so many, in in my opinion, anyway, dysfunctional relationships, who are you comparing yourself to, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, I remember always just thinking, well, everyone's relationship looks pretty shitty, to be honest. And it's right. like, like the people whose relationships are good, I'm like, well, you're just like unicorns. Right, 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 right. Yeah. You're just like two unicorns that just happened to meet. Yeah. And that was luck and it was chance. And so what? So, and that obviously then plays perfectly into my narrative as a codependent who's like a serial monogamist who's just like constantly out looking for a relationship, even when I say I'm not, like right. that's what I've always done. Yeah. And so that again kind of normalizes that behavior for me because then if it's luck and chance, then I just got to get through as many people as I can till I find my unicorn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> all right all right so let's <laughs> let's um talk about so we we kind of touched on like where codependency comes from and we've touched on what codependency looks like how mm-hmm. do we then go okay we have the realization that we're codependent then yeah. what how do we get help how do we get out of that how do we decide actually this is not what i want because i think from someone who's yeah. come from doing so much first yeah. of all there's the act of stopping <laughs> yeah. and, and the backlash I guess that would come from that because people are so used to you just doing whatever they want they're like well hey what you know where's my dinner and yeah. um <laughs> you know <laughs> and also um you know once you do stop I think just that it's kind of like I kind of am seeing in my head these cogs in these machines that's just got momentum so when you yeah. stop the machine it takes a while for the machine to stop because it's been going for so long and then when it does, it's like, oh, wow. It like screeches and screams a little bit and then just comes to a halt. And it's like. Well, it breaks. The machine's going to break because you need to turn those cogs in all kinds of different directions that they have not been going because they've been, it's been working dysfunctionally and you were trying to turn it around and make it functional. So the whole fucking thing's just going to break, baby. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Okay. And then, so once we're broke, once we break that cycle. Yeah. Then what? Who do we call to help us <laughs> fix it? <laughs> okay, um, so <laughs> this is this is how it goes, right? So maybe you have figured out that you're codependent. Maybe you've seen something online, you've read a book, you're listening to this podcast, and you're like, "Oh shit, that's me." So the first thing that you need to know is that that is massive. It's a really big, heavy realization. Recovery is a lifelong process. You are going to be very confused and probably quite resistant in the beginning of this process because once you realize how all-consuming it is, you realize how much of your life you're going to have to change and what the ricochet effects of that are going to be when you start making those changes. And that can be very scary because that's everything that you've been trying to avoid your whole life. That's why you're codependent. Um, so I just want to preface it with that. It doesn't mean necessarily that you need to run out on your relationship immediately. Obviously, always make sure you're safe. Um, and sometimes that does mean staying a little bit longer in a situation that isn't good, that you know is not good for you, but better to stay and be strategic, get your support network in place and get out in a way that works for you. And yes, of course, physical safety, but also like financial safety. Mm-hmm. You need to make sure that you've got somewhere to live. You've got a roof over your head that you're going to be safe and that you're going to be supported. This is not something that you can do on your own. You are going to have to rally the troops for this. 
and obviously like personal and professional troops obviously highly recommend therapists coaches people to support you but also like you need to tell your mates and I promise you if they're good mates they've been waiting for you to say they've been waiting for the day that you're like okay I need some help I'm gonna need you to take the phone out of my hand or I'm gonna need you to like leverage me out of this help me find a place to live or whatever mm-hmm. um so the first thing that we have to start with in codependent recovery is building up your level of self-worth and for a lot of people that includes discovering who you actually are for the first time in your life so actually discovering what your identity is actually discovering what your values are what matters to you if nobody else is commenting if nobody else is controlling you is no if nobody else is feeding back to you what what you should or shouldn't be doing Um, what makes you an acceptable or good enough person or not. If it just comes from you, what is that? What does it mean? What are those feelings? What does it look like on a logistical level? You know, what kind of work do you want to be doing? If you want to be working, do you want a family? Do you not want a family? Do you want to travel? Do you not want to travel? Where do you want to live in the world? Like, what does your life look like? Do you even know? That's the first place that you've got to start. And another really good starting place is um, clearing out as much space in your life as possible. So physical space, emotional space, and then like space on your calendar. Because codependent people are stacked to the hilt with shit to do all the time. And if you're going to discover who you are, you need to be able to sit with yourself. You're going to need some time. You're going to need some time to do that on a practical level. But you're also just going to need a little bit of headspace. You're also just going to need some time that you're not just running around like a blue ass fly, doing everything for everybody, filling your time, because the reason you're doing that is to avoid yourself. So you've got to be able to start sitting with yourself. And that's probably one of the most painful, uncomfortable things for codependent people to do. Because, yeah, there's guilt, there's shame, there's frustration, there's anger that comes up that you process because, oh, my God, this this really what I've been doing for my whole life up to this point and oh shit it's really hard is it really that bad could I just like stay codependent it'll be fine um you know obviously all of that process as well um so that's kind of like the foundational stages um then you kind of want to look at different ways that maybe you've manipulated and controlled with kindness um and what that basically means is like doing stuff for other people in the hope that they will repay the favor rather than just asking for what you want and need so learning the skill of direct communication and then you can start putting boundaries in place and then you can start making those moves whether it's you know out of a relationship or you know away from your family of origin if that is not healthy for you or to a place that lights you up you know you've been living in a city your whole life but actually you're a total beach babe and that's where you need to be but your family's always told you that you can't do that. Like they're the boundaries, like the kind of real life big boy boundaries that you start putting in place, right? When you really get into recovery. So that's like, um, and that's going to take you a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the start. <laughs> yeah, that's, and recovery is a lifelong process. You know, you, if you're listening to this and you're somewhere in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you've been doing this stuff for decades already. 
the sooner you do it in your life, the easier it is to undo it because it's a practice thing, right? The more you practice it, the more it just becomes your default. Mm -hmm. So good news, if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s, it's much easier than if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, but it's still possible. It's still absolutely possible to get on this recovery journey. And the sooner you start, the better it is for your mental and physical health. And it's hard. And the first bit is the worst bit. So just get on it, get on the journey. Like, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. The first six months are the most difficult. Within a cup, within you know one to two years, you'll be a significantly different person, and you'll have a whole new life. That's a really exciting uh, idea, isn't it? Just to have be a completely yeah. different life. I love yeah. that. Yeah, and like fulfilling, and you know who you are, and you can speak your truth, and you can ask for your needs to be met, and it doesn't matter if they can't be met because you can meet them yourself, or you can go to someone else and get them met elsewhere. You don't feel the need to try and like beg somebody. Mm-hmm. just to treat you with like basic human decency. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine it's a fucking mind blowing concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. This has been so helpful. I have one more question before we wrap up. What if you find yourself, and this is kind of a tricky situation. What if you find yourself that you realize one of your parents are codependent and you're young and you can't leave just yet? I know this is a very, like someone very young is listening to this podcast. Yeah. I imagine that would be a very heavy situation. And because also because it's like, okay, you're not really realizing you're codependent, perhaps your parent is, and you just, what do you do in that situation? What's the best path yeah. forward? So you're going to have to ask for support is the most important thing. So if you have got, and be careful where you go for that, because again, we talked about the generational thing. So grandparents might not be the right people to go to. Right. Um, but you know, if there's an older sibling, if there's a cousin, if there's an aunt, if there's somebody who is like close and kind of knows you, but is removed kind of a stage removed from the family system, that's probably going to be a great place to start. You know, it might even be like a friend's parents. Mm -hmm. And the truth is if the dysfunction is enough for you to notice, probably other people have too. Right. Um, and so it probably won't be that shocking to them if you explain what's going on, you're going to need some help and support and the help and support is probably just going to look like a place to go. Like you're going to need a soft place to land. You're going to need somewhere that you can kind of escape to. So here's the thing. And you're going to need to start trying to put boundaries in place as much as you can. And that's really difficult with a dysfunctional family. If you're very young, um, because you rely on them for, you do rely on them for your safety, for your shelter to provide for you financially. And I would hate for anybody to have to be in a situation where they're kind of like out on their ear and having to take care of themselves when they're 14. And that does happen to people sometimes. But here's the thing is that when you start putting boundaries in place with your family of origin, if they're dysfunctional, that will always be perceived by them as a betrayal. Right. Because you have to think about it like this. There's a dysfunctional system. There's a dysfunctional game. You have a role in that game. And you get to stay in the game as long as you play the role. And the minute you say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm stepping out of this role. I'm putting boundaries in place. You're out of the game. You are, if your family of origin is dysfunctional, they need you to play their game because it validates their dysfunction. 
the minute you say, I'm not playing this game anymore, I'm not doing this dust, I'm not going to be doing this dysfunctional shit with you anymore. I'm not going to enable you anymore. I'm not going to accept and allow this behavior anymore. You hold a mirror up to the shit that they are doing. And that is they're avoiding themselves, just like I was avoiding myself as an adult codependent. They don't want to be shown a mirror. They don't want to look at themselves and it will be perceived as a betrayal. And so that's why I say it's really important to make sure that you've got a support system in place. Mm-hmm. If they do say, well, then if you're not playing the game, you need to get out. You need to make sure that you have somewhere to go. And mm-hmm. that might sound like super serious and heavy, but that is how these families kick off. And it can quite often be families that look very functional and put together from the outside. Right. Mm-hmm. But it is the ultimate betrayal. And it may be perceived as worse coming from the child because you're not, you're not meant to get it right. That's kind of, you're like the perfect source because you're not meant to get it. You're not meant to have the capability to leave. So that's even more of a betrayal. If it isn't that serious, it's just going to be really awkward until you move out. Cause you're just going to have to start putting boundaries in place. You're going to have to start asking for things like, you know, a lock on your door. Maybe you want to go get a part-time job so you've got a bit more financial autonomy so that you're not so controlled by the family system and that whole like barter system where it's like, well, I do so much for you and therefore you owe me. Mm-hmm. This is something really important to know is that your, t- like, your children don't owe you anything. Right. They didn't ask to be here. You chose to have them. They don't owe you anything. People continually earn each other's love and respect and presence in each other's lives through their actions. That's it. That goes for all families, all families, all structures, all traditions, all cultures. There are a lot of, you know, toxic systems, traditions, and cultures out there that we have been sold and we have bought into because we've had to, to keep ourselves safe and to stay part of that system, which keeps us safe. Um, And it's just like, it's just narcissistic abuse disguised as a tradition or a culture or a practice or whatever it may be, religion maybe even. Um, And I am pretty confident in saying that it is a universal truth that your children don't owe you anything. You earn your presence in each other's lives by, you know, mutual love and respect. That's it. Feels like a very heavy note to end on, but it's like you've, we just need to know that because it's kind, it is mind blowing mm-hmm. because it's so not the system we've been brought up in. And yet, if we could understand that, maybe we'd all actually learn to develop empathy a lot sooner, kick people out of our lives who don't understand empathy, and just be a lot kinder to each other. We just be a lot less fucked up adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Joe. I think I feel like this has been so incredibly valuable. Thank you so much for being here. I, I just I just want to ask now, um, where can people find you? Because you are a wealth of knowledge. And also I've, I've really noticed, and, I, and I'm really hoping that our listeners will notice this, you're absolutely so succinct. Like everything you say is just so well explained and it's really, really helpful. So Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, let us know where people can find you and what other resources uh, that are available to them. Sure. Oh, thank you so much for kind words. I really appreciate it. I love talking about this stuff. So maybe it's just because I've talked about it so much that I've got it down to a fine art. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do. You definitely do for sure. 
Okay. So best places to find me on Instagram at Joe Westwood. So that's J-O and Westwood, as you would expect it to be spelled. Um, and I'm at joewestwood.com. So that's where you can find out a bit more about working with me. Um, Instagram is where I hang out the most. Um, I go live there. I post memes to attack you with love. And if you check out the link in my bio there, you can book a free consultation with me. And I've also got free resources there and the highlights. Check out my highlights on Instagram. They are a wealth of knowledge. They are just gold. There is so many questions in there that I've answered from people. I have resources like so other books and um, other resources that I recommend. It's particularly if you're just getting on this codependency recovery journey. So yeah, Instagram is the hotspot. Come and check me out. You can kind of get everything that you need there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again. And for anyone listening, you can find all the links mentioned in this episode at rebellove.com forward slash EP26. Again, that's rebellove.com forward slash EP26. Joe, you're a legend. Really, really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I feel like this episode is going to be really, really useful to a lot of people. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Talia. I've absolutely loved it. Uh, Me too. The pleasure is all mine. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rebel Love Podcast, the podcast about love, sex, relationships, and money. If you like this episode, please support us by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and find all the details of this episode and more at rebellove.com forward slash podcast. 